Our Father, we are gathered again now in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, by virtue of his finished sacrifice once and for all, shedding his blood for the sins of the world, not only future sins, present sins, past sins, all included. We'll be looking into your word, Father, today regarding that completed work and uh, the glories of that. So, Father, I pray that you would bless us as we do so today. Open our hearts and teach us by your Holy Spirit that indwells each believer. Father, uh, thank you for encouraging us day by day, hour by hour, by the riches of your grace. Uh, Father, I'm thankful that uh, we have been drawn into this fellowship, not by our own choice at all, but rather by your work. And Father, I, I just thank you that you've gathered us, uh, therefore, with open hearts, open minds, and uh, able to remove the blindness that uh, still is there in all of us to some degree. Father, so I pray for that to be removed, Father, that you would uh, uh, give us understanding uh, of how glorious indeed our salvation really is through our Lord Jesus. And Father, I pray for our president and those that support him. And uh, yes, there are many enemies on every side, not only other nations and their leaders, but uh, certainly spiritual forces at work uh, managing all of that, right? Uh, but, Father, uh, if you would guide and lead our president and those that uh, serve with him uh, with this great privilege to lead our nation, I pray that they would lead it well and in the direction that, that it should go. And may our people be also drawn to you in these days, Father. I pray that the evil one would be destroyed and all that serve him in this nation, that we might again reset our course uh, in the right path, and uh, that, that we might see uh, great spiritual uh, benefit for our people, Father. Surely that's largely going to be the effect of believers boldly testifying. So, Father, we do commit each one of us and... Uh, all of your people to you for your good care in that regard. Please watch over us now as we open your word, Father, and may it be a blessing to us in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're continuing today with Day of the Lord Part 3, and that has to do with Christ as priest in the Millennial Kingdom. And the last two meetings were to lay the foundation for what I'll say today. In in a, a sense, uh, what we'll say today is going to be uh, a summary or a review of everything that's been said before about this, because we have covered the subject. I just didn't feel like we had uh, answered uh, really every question, or maybe, though we had attempted to do that, we perhaps had not had enough exposure or a long enough exposure to this truth to 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 find our own questions fully answered. 
After all, the Word of God answers questions that have never been asked <laughs> by us, right? And when we do ask them of the Lord, then uh, it may take some time for our blindness to be removed and for us to understand what's written. Uh, the Word of God is complete. Uh, the answers are there. Uh, and uh, if not, then there will be no further answers until we're face to face face with our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Because the scripture is complete in that regard. <clears throat> uh, what we've uh, seen is that in most of the Bible, and I think this is for us believers living under grace today, a bit of a challenge to say the least, but in most of the Bible, there is a legal system with a sacrificial system that's included as a critical part. In other words, Blood sacrifices have been there uh, through much of biblical history, right? Uh, it's only in our current dispensation where there are no blood sacrifices to be offered, right? Or allowed even, right? Uh, but in other dispensations, that's not what we have seen. And uh, the Bible is very clear about this. But I could then ask the question, and surely you are too, right? Well, if that's the case, then how could anyone have been truly saved during those other dispensations, right? When law was standing in the way, basically, right? Uh, no one could keep the law perfectly, and therefore uh, the law was always a judge, right? Uh bringing ultimately condemnation to those who had been disobedient, right? It did not bring life and righteousness, uh, the apostle writes, uh, but rather judgment and ultimately uh, death were uh, the consequence of um, disobeying the law of God, right? So how could anyone have been truly saved, therefore, in those other dispensations is the question that springs to mind. But we know, we know from the scripture uh, that salvation was never by works. It was always by faith and not by works. And that was true even when works were required by God. Now, <laughs> uh, how those things go together then is the question, right? And that is really the question that we've been looking at as we've considered uh, there the millennial kingdom and uh, Christ sitting on the throne as prophet, priest, and king for a thousand years. But even then, during that time, there will be blood sacrifices that kingdom law requires. Okay? How do those go together? How can that be consistent? That's what leads us to the larger question, to look at the entire Bible and to try to understand from the entire Bible what uh, is written, right? And what the redemptive plan of God, therefore, is all about. What is the essence of it? Then... When we considered the kingdom, we also uh, learned that there was a new covenant established then, right? Uh, the new covenant was somewhat different from the old covenant. A major difference being that the old covenant, covenant was, was broken. It was like shattered, 
<laughs> when Moses came down off the mountain with the tablets and uh, the children of Israel were lined up there in idolatry of the worst sort, he broke the law, right? He shattered it. Well, that was just a symbol sort of of what would happen later. Thirty-eight and a half years later, the law is given again after wandering in the wilderness and that whole generation dying out except for a couple remaining, right? Uh, three remained, Caleb, Joshua, and Moses at that point from that earlier disobedient generation. And uh, and what happened then? But in Israel's history after that point, it didn't take long for this to occur. There was increasing rebellion against God, and the law of God, the Mosaic Covenant, was, God says, broken, right? <laughs> uh, shattered, as it were. <clears throat> um, it could not hold together because of the disobedience of the people and, and, and because they had turned against their God, right? So the big question is how, how can this be understood? A new covenant will be established in the kingdom, but there will be included in that covenant as well a sacrificial system imposed on the people. Well, our outline today is going to cover all of this, and we're going to answer these questions from the word of the living God, I hope. Well, I, I will show you the answers. Whether we receive them or not will be up to uh, us, right? Um, but I trust God's going to open our hearts that we will be enabled to receive this teaching. So our outline today will, first of all, quickly focus on the promise of the seed of the woman, which is the overall theme of prophecy in general, right? The overall theme of prophecy in general is the promise of the seed of the woman. <laughs> and we'll look at that first. We'll look into Genesis for that. Um, then secondly, and this is now going to be all about animal sacrifices and how they fit in, but secondly, animal sacrifice was established before the Mosaic Law was given. It was established alongside the promise of the seed of the woman that had been given uh, by God to uh promise, of course, was to Satan, <laughs> but uh, it was in the hearing of, of course, Adam and Eve. So animal sacrifice was established even before the Mosaic Law was given, alongside the promise of the seed of the woman. Secondly, animal sacrifice was established under the Mosaic Law, alongside the promise of the seed of the woman, and as it was developed and Further revelation was given alongside the promise of a different order of priesthood, which is called the priesthood of Melchizedek. Okay, so animal sacrifice is established even under the Mosaic law, not only before it, but even under it. And then animal sacrifice shall be reestablished under the kingdom law. Okay, now it will be established in the tribulation period. Uh, we know that and saw that previously in our studies, but that all points directly forward to the establishing of the kingdom. So when the kingdom is established, then animal sacrifices 
will be reestablished. There'll be a new temple built, and there'll be a new uh, system of sacrifice as well for those that, of course, have failed to keep kingdom law, right? So even alongside Messiah's high priestly ministry in the kingdom, there will be animal sacrifices reestablished. Now, that's all quite amazing, but I think Scripture explains uh, this all, if only we would have ears to hear. Um, and that's because uh, once we consider everything dispensationally, everything falls into place, and we then understand what's happening as God works out the eternal plan of redemption. That's why we need the Apostle Paul to explain it. Okay? We need the Apostle Paul to explain all of this, and we'll look at that scripture today. Okay, so let's look at the beginning then, at the very beginning. Adam has just fallen into sin, and through him his entire offspring would be corrupted, right, with the stain of sin. And there would be a necessity, therefore, uh, for some provision for that sin. So, uh, Patty, would you read for us, please? how it was at the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Okay, so we see here how ultimate victory over Satan, right? Ultimate victory over Satan. Represented here by the serpent, because, you know, it was the serpent in the garden. We only find out from the book of Revelation that that was, in fact, Satan himself manifesting through that serpent, right? Don't think it was a snake. <laughs> uh, it wasn't a snake uh, <clears throat> dressed up to look good. It was uh, something far more dramatic than that, I'm sure. Uh, he was uh, thrown to the earth <laughs> and... Uh, and crawled on the ground after that, <clears throat> right? <clears throat> okay. Um, so, ultimate victory over Satan will be accomplished by what? By the seed of the woman. That's what that promise is all about. The promise uh, is to, first of all, Satan, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and then the promise is, uh, directed indirectly <laughs> indirectly towards the seed of the woman itself. It does say here, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. So this is the promise God makes. Satan's temporary victory will only be according to God's perfect timing, and then it will be over, right? He will ultimately be destroyed. And this promise regarding the seed of the woman is the overriding theme of prophecy 
It's a crimson thread, ultimately, that goes through the Bible, and it will be amplified over and over and over again as uh, prophecy continues to provide details, right? Okay, so uh, only time is going to show how this all works out in infinite detail, right? But, uh, of course, uh, prophets uh, were there to reveal the overall course of that from time to time. Even Satan couldn't know what he wasn't told. He couldn't see the future, but he did know that his days were numbered, right? Okay, now, this prophecy regarding the seed of the woman that would ultimately bring the end of Satan, and the implication is that somehow the sin problem was going to be resolved. Uh, there were no details given concerning that at the beginning, but uh, that is uh, the implication of it all, that God was going to work this out uh, someday, right, through the seed of the woman. Now what we have learned as we've looked into other scripture is that there, were pre there, there was a priesthood uh, from the beginning and also uh, another priesthood revealed in scripture. That would be far more important. Uh, and this is revealed just one step at a time. Uh, I'm not going to take you to all the scriptures. We've already looked at them here. But uh, back in Genesis 14, Abraham uh, has gone to war to uh, recover Lot out of uh, bondage. Uh, and uh, after that, war is brought to a conclusion, Abraham is victorious because of the work of God himself, right? And then uh, the king of Salem uh, appears out of nowhere and brings forth bread and wine. And it says he was the priest of the Most High God, and he blesses Abraham, okay? <laughs> Abraham is a believer. He was saved earlier by believing God. God had told him he would have offspring, he would have the seed, the seed would be multiplied, right? So there was a promise given to Abraham regarding the seed, uh, and uh, that is to be correlated, and is correlated in Scripture very directly with the earlier promise concerning the seed of the woman, okay, that we just looked at. Okay, so uh, what figures in the center of all of this is Melchizedek then and this priesthood according to which he was it says a member he was a priest of God of the most high God and uh, it was a separate priesthood from the other one um, there was another priesthood which uh, <laughs> uh, involved uh, a sacrificial system and uh, we're not really going to look at it, but I will mention it again in just a moment. And it was there from the beginning. But uh, this priesthood, the one according to Melchizedek, uh, is totally different. And this one is based upon the blood and body sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. The bread and the wine there, when Melchizedek serves that to Abraham, is clearly a pointer forward ultimately to Christ's body and blood. Though that could not have been known at that time by Abraham, of course. 
But scripture as a whole makes it clear that these things correlate. Uh, a little later in Abraham's life, uh, the promises are concerning the seed promised to him, his offspring, uh, are reinforced in a number of ways. But in Genesis 22, he's asked to sacrifice his son. And uh, the actual sacrifice doesn't occur because God provides his own sacrifice, in fact, himself, as it were, in type, right? Uh, and uh, you'll remember that at that time, and I'm not going to go there, but at that time, uh, Abraham is told that in, it would be in his seed that all the nations of the earth would be blessed, and they would possess the gate of his enemies, right? So that's looking forward to a time when God will bring great blessing to the earth through Abraham and through his seed. Now, we, we also know uh, from other scriptures that that will not be fulfilled ultimately until the second coming of Christ, right? We've already looked at most of these things here in our studies. Then in Psalms, there is a promise given. Uh, it's really a, uh, really a, uh, an amplification of, of what was revealed uh, already here uh, to Abraham uh, indirectly when Melchizedek appeared. But in Psalm 110, it says there, The Lord has sworn and will not repent, thou art, and this is being spoken to the Son of God, the pre-incarnate Son of God, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So uh, Christ someday will fulfill uh, this promise at his second coming and will be a king. He will rule the earth. Uh, and he will also be prophet and priest, as we've already seen, okay? But not in, just any kind of priest. It's not a priest after the old Levitical order, but a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And that priesthood is based upon a sacrifice, but not a blood sacrifice of an animal, but the sacrifice of himself, right? Uh, where he had uh, previously died for the sins of the world and been gloriously resurrected, and therefore uh, he was able to minister as uh, a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, having accomplished that sacrifice. Uh, therefore, he'll become an intercessor, and that's made very clear in Scripture. Okay, so priests are required according to the plan of God. Now, uh, the other priesthood, the one that was given before the law, uh, would, uh, would need uh, a system of sacrifice revealed, right? And uh, that will be quite different, quite different than the once-for-all sacrifice. So let's consider that for a moment now. Um, Animal sacrifices were established even before the Mosaic Law. You know, it's easy to forget that because the system given under Moses was so extensive, right? But when you realize that the children of God 
at least a select number of them, were priests uh, even before Moses' law was established. Then you begin to realize that uh, shedding of blood was uh, revealed by God to be absolutely required uh, far before the law. So uh, who are the witnesses of that? How about Abel? How about Abel? How about Abraham himself? How about Isaac, Jacob, Job? They all uh, lived a life of uh, worship, bringing forth animal sacrifices, right? Um, and uh, uh, some of those figured very uh, highly in the outworking of the plan of God. Uh, Abel's, for example, because of his offerings, and his revelation concerning those offerings and their necessity, right? Uh, because of that, his brother Cain uh, martyred him. He killed his own brother, right? To shut down the witness that without shedding of blood, there is no remission. That was the witness of Abel, right? And uh, Cain thought he was shutting that down. Of course, all he did was... Uh, <laughs> accomplish uh, something that uh, quite different than what he had anticipated. Okay, because another son was brought forth to carry on. His name was Seth, right? Um, so uh, salvation, and we could use um, Abraham as our example. Paul uses Abraham often as his example of this, but salvation was then Though even though sacrifices were required, blood sacrifices were required, the salva true salvation was never through those sacrifices. <laughs> but it was only by faith alone, and that's taught in both the Old and the New Testament. But the sacrifices were a central part of worship of Almighty God, and they were required by all who would uh, believe God. Um, and uh, if you weren't uh, a priest yourself, you'd have to go to a priest. And uh, there's interesting statements about that. In fact, in Job's book, uh, he says he would be happy to act as an intermediary for the others uh, in that regard. It does say that in the book of Job. Okay. Um, now, all of this is, is to be taken uh, in the light of the promise of the seed of the woman, okay? And uh, looking forward then to the priesthood, which was according to Melchizedek. So the eternal priesthood of Melchizedek existed even before Moses' law. We know that from uh, that Genesis 14 uh, section that uh, we just referred to. Abraham, therefore, would know something about it. Not necessarily much, but enough, right? So it was by faith and faith alone, looking forward to the completed sacrifice, that Abraham was saved. And Paul makes that very clear in uh, his letter to the Romans. So we must never forget <clears throat> the promise of the seed of the woman is the theme of all of this, and uh, the shedding of blood is exemplified right, in those earthly sacrifices, but they all point forward to, they do not form a foundation for salvation from sin 
and its penalty, but rather look forward to uh, another sacrifice, which is totally unique, the, and ultimately the sacrifice of the Son of God himself, right, for the sins of the world. So not only now, before the law, did you have coexisting this thread, this crimson thread pointing forward to Messiah and his sacrifice, but you also had animal sacrifices. And not only then, now also under Moses' law. So when Moses' law is given, right, uh, a law also is imposed, which was not there previously. Uh, Abraham was not living under law. He was not living under a law. The few requirements that had been given to him by God, such as regarding circumcision in due time, there as his life uh, progressed, right? Uh, God laid down the circumcision requirement. But that was never the Mosaic law. That was just circumcision, right? Uh, Abraham was not living under the Mosaic law. In fact, uh, he was a Gentile. The Jewish nation didn't even exist, right? He was a Gentile called out from among the Gentiles and uh, given a special relationship with Almighty God. Um, so in Abraham's life, uh, the works of the law were not a requirement, but they were later once uh, after another 400 years of bondage in in uh, in Egypt, uh, the children of Jacob, uh, the 12 sons, uh, and their families had gone off into bondage and were there for a hunt for 400 years, right? And and uh, then when they were brought out of that bondage in Egypt, they came to Mount Sinai, and uh, God established this new law, right? Okay. That new law may not be understood well by us. Uh, I think it's great, grossly misunderstood uh, by many. But but in Galatians, <laughs> it's explained. Uh, and uh, it's explained in Galatians. And uh, Linda, I'm glad you're back with us. Uh, I would like you to read for us uh, Paul's explanation of the law of Moses and uh, what he reveals here in Galatians 3. If we didn't have this, uh, these kinds of statements from Paul, uh, we wouldn't know what God was doing under the law at all, I would say. But uh, Linda, please read for us Galatians chapter 3, uh, verses 15 through 18. Brethren, I speak up in the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul, that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Okay, thank you, Linda. <clears throat> well, this is just quite uh, wonderful to read, isn't it? Not because it explains so much about how you could have a system of 
law with their sac their required sacrificial system for those that transgress the law, right? How that could be coexisting with what had gone before, which was apart from law, right? Abraham, his relationship to God was based upon the promise. Okay, that promise went for uh, went forward and looked forward all the way to the seed of the woman, right? Who would finally come. And uh, ultimately, uh, as a priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, offer up even himself as the sacrifice, right? Uh, and uh, that would pay the penalty for sin, okay? So what Paul writes here in Romans 3 is that when the Mosaic law was established, the Abrahamic covenant wasn't canceled. It wasn't set aside. But it was through that covenant and through the faith that Abraham had, which is at the heart of that, that Abraham was saved, and therefore anyone else would be saved. After that point, it would be through Abraham's faith, right, which looked forward to the coming seed of the woman. Okay? It says here, uh, there's a distinction between seed singular and seed plural uh, there, right? And Paul is making his point based upon the word seed taken in the singular, all right? Do you see that? Okay. Uh, seed plural, that's Abraham's entire offspring, all right? Now, God is going to cut that down uh, one piece at a time, one stage at a time. It's going to be Isaac and not Ishmael. It's going to be, uh, you know, Jacob and not Esau. It's going to be the 12 tribes, right? And so forth and so on, right? Uh, through whom the seed of the woman, the singular seed will come, right? And it will only be one, one line through that family tree as well, right? Uh, so God is going to be limiting. That's his choice, right, over time. But uh, nevertheless, uh, God is going to keep that promise, and through faith in that coming seed, one seed, one might be saved in the spiritual sense. Okay, I hope you know that because that's really at the essence of our understanding of what the gospel is all about—that there was finally a full payment for sin, and that was our Lord Jesus Christ. He was the seed of the woman that had been promised way back in Genesis 3.15. Okay? So, anyway, to summarize this point now, uh, when Moses' law is established, it doesn't cancel out the Abrahamic covenant. True salvation isn't, therefore, through the law and the sacrificial system. It's not through the legal works of law at all. It's not through perfect keeping of the sacrificial requirements placed upon sinners who lived under Moses' law. That is not the basis for true salvation under Moses' law. The true basis and the only basis is the faith of Abraham. That's what Paul is saying there in Galatians chapter 3. Okay? So, true salvation was by grace through faith even then, right? Uh, no, none of those works were required, uh, even though, I'm sorry, none of those works were 
were uh, part of salvation, though they were required. Okay? They were required because the law had been imposed. Okay? So believers would have necessarily been keeping those requirements, but believing that their salvation was independent of them. Okay? So those sacrifices did not cancel out or replace the Abrahamic faith. That's critical for us to understand. Therefore, the two were existing together, side by side, throughout the whole period of Moses' law. Well, if that's the case, that affects our understanding greatly, does it not, of what will happen in the kingdom, okay? In fact, it makes it all perfectly understandable. So let's consider that. Animal sacrifice shall be reestablished under the kingdom law alongside Messiah's high priestly ministry. The two will exist concurrently, side by side. Now, previously, whether you go back before the law, even all the way back to Abel's sacrifice, or whether you look at the circumstances under the law, as long as you go back before the cross, those sacrifices all pointed forwards, okay, pointed forwards to the only sacrifice that could ultimately take away sin, right? The only sacrifice that could provide a true forgiveness. It would, been, it would have been future all the way along until the cross itself, right? But once the cross event has occurred, then all other sacrifices established in a future time would have to look back, okay? They would have to point backwards to that completed work of our Lord Jesus Christ. No longer looking forward, but now looking backwards. Now, we've already seen a number of scriptures that indicate in the kingdom, Israel's Messiah, who is, of course, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? At the second coming, he will establish the kingdom. He will rule as king. He will be the prophet, and he's giving the revelation of the law needed at that time, the kingdom law. And he will also be priest over all. He will be the highest priest over everything else, okay? Uh, and uh, yet he will not be offering sacrifices <laughs> himself, right? Because he's already offered himself as the sacrifice, okay? And that's all explained, actually, in the letter to the Hebrews. Uh, there's a most amazing thing there, and I want us to look at that now, because uh, last time we actually got down to this point where in Hebrews chapter 10, we read uh, these verses, and um, I, I think that uh, we we we, uh, we need to read them again. But you know, there there's some other verses that need to be read together with them in order to understand well exactly what is happening, um, because law always 
stands in between. Okay, as long as there's a law, there's going to be a limitation uh, to the understanding of the forgiveness of sins has, having been, or or in the case of Moses' law, looking forward to uh, that sacrifice which alone could take away sins. Because if you're bringing forth sacrifices because of your sin and lawlessness, right, <laughs> How can you think otherwise than that those sacrifices are critically important, right? They're required, okay? It's not as if your sins are never being remembered again because they've somehow already been paid for, right? So that stands in the way of understanding, okay? So apart from this revelation through Paul, we wouldn't actually understand how this was all working. So I, I, want, to, uh, I want Ted to read a couple of verses uh, in Galatians, back where we just were there, uh, before we go to the Hebrews 10. So in Galatians 3, verses 19 through 23, uh, Ted, would you please read that for us? Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgression till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promise of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterward be revealed. Okay, thank you, Ted. So <clears throat> there's an issue of the law separating. You see that here. The law actually, <laughs> it says, concluding them uh, under sin until there was a, an actual provision for it. Right. Uh, they were being bound, as it were, even though they still had the opportunity to believe as Abraham had. OK, so salvation was by faith, but the law was given. It was a burden. It was an incredible burden giving on the people given to the people. Now, I'm not talking about how beneficial certain aspects of the law might have been for the lives of the people and all of that. That's a totally separate thing. We're not looking at that right now. We're looking at the aspects of the law regarding sin and transgression, okay, and uh, the provisions made for that. Okay, so uh, what Paul says here is that the law came in between and uh, it caused an issue, right? It says, verse 23, uh, Ted just read it, read it, but before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterward be revealed. So without the revelation of how God was going to deal with sin in a perfect way, right? If all you had were types looking forward, right? You wouldn't understand clearly how this was all going to work out, right? Until finally that as he says here, were revealed, right? 
So revelation is so important. So now uh, to look into this in its final aspect here, uh, the dispensational understanding of all of this, um, we we need to look at uh, Hebrews chapter 10. And I'm just going to read a couple of verses uh, because these are the critical ones, I think. Uh, and this is back where... Uh, the Lord God is speaking directly to his son uh, just before he sends him forth into this world in the incarnation. Okay, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 13, and I'll just read uh, three verses, uh, starting in verse 9. Then said he, lo, I come. So this is now the son of God speaking to his heavenly father. Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. So we're talking about uh, one system being replaced by the other, okay? Uh, and he says, by which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, okay? Uh, I said I was only going to read a couple of verses. Well, I'm reading more than a couple. Uh now verses 11 through 13. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for the sins forever, uh, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Now, Paul goes on. I think it was Paul who wrote this. He goes on in the rest of this section to make the most amazing statement of all. He says, by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And then he says, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after he had said before, and now he quotes here, the author of Hebrews, quoting from uh, Jeremiah chapter 33, the New Covenant section, right? This, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. So once the New Covenant's established, uh, He's going to deal with the sin problem in as far as they're personally concerned, right? He's already sacrificed. The Lord God has already sent his son forth. His son's already sacrificed himself, right? At that point, 2,000 years at least before, right? But it hasn't been applied to the nation of Israel's salvation yet, okay? And, and that's what this is all about. That's what the new covenant is all about. Uh, this is the covenant I'll make with them after those days. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. So in the millennial kingdom, when this is all made a reality, God is not remembering their sins and iniquities anymore. Okay? That's made very clear right there. But... <laughs> 
Verse 18 says, now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. But there was still an offering for sin in the kingdom. How are we to understand this? And I think it's very simple. Really, I do. Go back to verse 15. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. To us. Paul is writing the letter to the Hebrews to Jews who need to be transitioned into the body of Christ, giving up their kingdom hope and giving up the law, which wasn't even any longer being executed, right? <laughs> when that was written, whenever that was, AD 60 or something like that, right? Uh, so, they're to give up their kingdom hope, right? Um, and to become part of the body of Christ and to fully accept the grace of God. Right? So he says, the Holy Spirit is a witness to us, okay? That he in the kingdom he's going to establish, uh, even in the hearts of the people, full cleansing, right, of conscience and so forth. Uh, and their sins and iniquities will not be remembered anymore. Okay? And what the author of the Hebrews says is that for us, there's no more offering for sin because we understand the fullness of Christ's completed sacrifice. And we are not under the law. Okay? At all. We're not under any law. So we have the fullness of the benefit of this today, now. In the kingdom, they will not have that. The law of the kingdom will still apply. Therefore, there's a need for ceremonial cleansing. As long as there's any law, there's a need for ceremonial cleansing. Okay? I said that last time. I hope you come to understand this clearly. It's not a small point. There's a big difference when Paul writes that his words were to us, he says, not to them living so much later, but to us, right? In the kingdom, there will be a sacrificial system because of the uncleanness of the people still. They're living under in, in, the, in their bodies of sin. Yes, the Holy Spirit is upon them. They bring forth uh, works of law, uh, but there will be infractions. There will be uh, failures and there'll be uncleanness that still need the ceremonial cleansing of the sacrificial system. But not for the sake of taking away sin at all. God isn't holding their sins against them at that time. The one sacrifice was also for them. Okay? It's only when the law is completely taken away and their natures of sin are removed, in other words, the new heavens and the new earth, then righteousness will reign. There will be no infractions, there will be no reason, there will be no more sacrificial system, and everything will have been perfected. But we have that blessing now. We have that blessing now. We're not under the law, but under grace.
Okay, praise the Lord. Any uh, final questions? I've gone a little long today, but uh, uh, by showing you that uh, the uh, the the promise concerning the seed of the woman, uh, and then how that was uh, enhanced over time by further revelation concerning the the, the Melchizedek uh, priesthood and uh, the faith that Abraham had, right? concerning the coming seed of the woman and so forth, uh, we see that all along in all those dispensations, there were animal sacrifices, even though no one could ever have been saved through them. They were merely looking forward, or in the case of the kingdom, looking back to the completed sacrifice of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But as long as there's a law, there's the necessity for an animal sacrifice. Any law at all would require it because of infractions against that law. Any questions uh, by any of you? Done my best to show you what scripture says. <laughs> okay, well, I hope we are able to receive it. <laughs> Since we're living under grace without law, it seems for us impossible that there could ever be, again, animal sacrifices required, but you see from Scripture, they will be. Okay? Paul explains how that can be. Okay, any, uh, any further comments? Okay, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for this word of truth. We see that it was a crimson thread uh, throughout uh, from the beginning, from when sin first entered into the world. Uh, the Lord God uh, had a plan to ultimately resolve that sin problem once and for all, and that was through the seed of the woman. What a glorious promise indeed. Father, uh, the challenges we face, not living under the law, but under grace, are not quite the same as what they would face someday living in the kingdom. But uh, certainly they're not small challenges. Father, may we rejoice in the fullness of your grace, uh, welcome it always, receive the abundance of it, and reign uh, in this life as a consequence. Not bound by the law, but under grace and its fullness. And we would rejoice, Father, and thank you in Christ's name. Amen.